Welcome everybody. This is Pastor Brad with Equipping the Body and we are going to be moving through Ephesians today. We're going to pick up where we left off. Last time we looked at Ephesians we finished chapter 3 and today we're going to pick up in chapter 4 dealing with the first six verses. Ephesians chapter 4 if you had to title this lesson anything, it'd be, Why Can't We All Get Along? Christian Unity. And so we hear a lot of talk about unity today. Um, you know, everybody wants to get together. Uh, and we see the ecumenical movement in Christendom wanting all the denominations and all the churches to come together. But uh, that's really not possible, nor is it practical because. Um, where there are major disagreements, you, you can't have unity. Um, for example, uh, Roman Catholicism and my uh, denominational background, Baptist, there, there's, no, there's no place for unity. Um, we don't make graven images. That, that was forbidden in the Old Testament. Um, we certainly don't pray to anybody except Jesus, no dead saints. Um, we don't believe that our works make us more saved or keep us saved. Uh, so there's an issue of justification. I mean, that that's not disagreeing about Bible translations. That's disagreeing about stuff that literally uh, is the difference between heaven and hell. So you can't have unity where there's major doctrinal differences. But... Once again, Paul is not addressing a, a, a denomination or Christendom as a whole in as much as he's addressing a church in Ephesus and sister churches in that area. And so, but I also want to say this, there is only one true church, and it's, it, it's not a denomination, it's not a movement. Uh, it's simply the group of people that are truly saved. And if you are truly born again, you've repented of your sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, and believe the gospel, then it, it doesn't matter what denominational flavor you come from. If you're saved, you're part of the true church, the church invisible. Um, and so kind of deepening the weeds here when I should just be reading the text. But anyways, let's let's jump into Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. So Paul, uh, speaking of himself and calling himself the prisoner of the Lord. Now we know what the word prisoner means. We don't have to break that down. It means you're in jail or uh, a, it could be taken as a slave of sorts that you are in enslavement. Uh, enslaved to somebody or something. And so, but Paul, in his mind, he was a prisoner of the Lord. And so he he saw that he was owned by Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ purchased him and paid for him, and that he belongs to Jesus Christ. Um, and the Greek word he uses here is desmos, and that means bonds or a captive, a prisoner in bonds, bound to someone, so he said, I belong to Jesus. In other words, Jesus is in charge of my life, is what Paul is saying. So, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech. Now, that word beseech means to beg. It doesn't just mean to ask. It means to beg, to plead with. You, who's you? Well, the believers at Ephesus. 
Okay, so what does he want them to do? What is he begging them to do? To walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. To walk worthy. Now, we know that oftentimes in the Bible, the word walk means lifestyle, the way you live. So if you said, in my walk of life, okay, in my life, my everyday uh, routine, Okay, and so he's, he's saying to walk worthy, to live worthy of the calling. Now, that's talking about our salvation, our election. So to live in a way that brings God honor and that, and that brings uh, worth and value to the fact that he has saved us, to live a life that's worthy of that, um, to live a life that honors Christ. Now, Many people have cheapened salvation to, you know, I see it all the time, man. Social media makes me sick. I, I Honestly, I should just delete all social media and go live in a hole. Um, people, like, like with all this Roe versus Wade stuff, I mean, the Bible's clear, okay? The Bible's abundantly clear. Um, murder is a sin. Um, Amos... D- in chapter 1, defines killing an unborn baby as murder. He talks about ripping the pregnant women. Um, so, you know, God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. That's what the Bible says. And I see all these people on social media, and they're like, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, but X, Y, Z. You know, I'm a Christian, but I disagree with God about killing babies. Then you're not a Christian, man. <laughs> you can't. Uh, can two walk together except they be agreed? No. You, I believe in God, but you know, I'm for sexual perversion and baby murder. Well, then the God you believe in is made up. It's not the God of the Bible. Um. I'm kind of getting off subject here, but we're to live our lives worthy, not to cheapen it to, well, I believe in God, therefore I can do and say and believe whatever I want to because I'm a Christian, quote, unquote. That's not it. I mean, I'm not trying to sound judgmental because for a long time that's what I believed until I actually read the Bible, Um, but that's not what it teaches. And so, anyways... He said, to walk worthy, to live in a way that honors Christ. I got way off subject there. I apologize. With all, now how do you do that? Okay, because he's talking to a specific group of believers. He said, with all lowliness and gentleness. Lowliness and gentleness. We're to be gentle with each other. Now, believers, he's not talking. I'm not saying we're to be ungentle or not be gentle, however you would say that, with unbelievers, but he's not talking to how we treat unbelievers right here. He's talking to how we treat other believers, not people that don't believe the gospel and belong to a apostate denomination, okay? Not Jehovah's Witness. He's talking about true brothers in Christ, people that believe the gospel, right? And I need to clarify that. We should treat them with lowliness and gentleness. It should be them first, us second. We should esteem others higher than ourselves. We should seek to see what other people need. So in the local church you're a part of, and if you're a believer, you should be a part of a local church, Hebrews 10, 25. 
when you go to that church, you do life with the individual in that church, it should never be about you. It should always be about the next man, the next woman, the next person. It should never be about what you want. It should be about what they need. And that should be across the board as a rule of thumb for how we treat each other with lowliness and gentleness, to be gentle. Um, we don't have to be harsh when we hold a brother or sister accountable. I know in times of my life where I've messed up, and it's often, um, and I don't go around screaming, judge not, because that's not even what Jesus meant. <laughs> you make judgments every day. If you didn't, you'd be dead. You judge to eat food instead of rat poison. You made a judgment call. Judgment's not bad. Wrongful judgment's bad. But anyways, getting off topic once again. I've been corrected in my life, but the ones I've responded to the best have been when they approached me with lowliness and gentleness. Then he goes on to say, with long-suffering. Now, we know what long-suffering means. That's just an old way, a fancy way of saying patience. We should be far, far patient with each other. You say, why is that? Well, think about this. How patient is God with us? How many times have we failed God and yet he offers forgiveness and love and compassion and mercy and grace? Who do we think we are to exercise less patience against another human being after what our sin did to Jesus? We have no excuse not to be patient with each other, to give each other room for growth, especially considering that everybody is a different walk. I don't expect the same uh, walk from somebody who got saved two weeks ago that I do from somebody who got saved 20 years ago. We need to take all things into consideration. We need to exercise patience, lowliness, and gentleness. You know why we can't get along? Because we do the opposite. We have no patience. We have no gentleness. We have no kindness. No lowliness. It's all about me. It's whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me sad, whatever makes me mad. We don't, we don't correct each other uh, in private with love. Rather, we pick up a phone. <laughs> we get a gossip train started. Or we blast somebody. I can't believe blah, blah, blah. You know how we talk to each other. You know what that does? All of that does, it just hurts feelings and it just causes division. I'm not saying don't hold each other accountable. We need to hold each other accountable. Um, if something's wrong, we need to say it's wrong. Okay, if something's right, we need to say it's right. But we don't have to treat each other like dirt in order to accomplish that. Bearing with one another in love. I'm still in verse 2. You know what that word bearing means? It means literally to put up with. Putting up with who? Each other. Not the lost. Each other. Each other. If there's somebody in your church 
that you don't get along with. You know what Paul says? Put up with them in love. Lowliness. Well, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. It's not about you. Lowliness. Take a piece of paper and write out that word lowliness and stick it in your pocket and carry it with you if you have to. It's not about you. It's it's not about you. Lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing one another. How? In love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love holds no record of wrongs. You know what it says. Loving each other. Loving each other. When you love, you give. When you love, you forgive. Don't tell me you love somebody if you're holding a grudge. You've got to learn to forgive and forget and move on. Now, that don't mean you're going to be best friends with that person. I understand. Sometimes things happen. And uh, uh, how, how can I say this? You become suspicious and maybe even have good reason to be suspicious. But what I am saying is you don't have to walk around mad at that person. You forgive. You let it go. You let it go. Now, I'm not telling you you got to take them golfing next week either or, or, you know, invite them over for dinner. But you cannot walk around with hate in your heart. In love. Now, watch this. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity. You know what that word endeavoring means? It means to exert oneself to belabor. Not just try once and say, well, I tried. Well, we love to do that, don't we? Well, you know, I tried. No, to work, to exert oneself, to give 100% effort 100% of the time. To do what? To keep the unity. A unified church is a powerful church. A divided church is a waste of time. Let me say that again. A unified church is a powerful church. A divided church is a waste of time. To keep the unity of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the bond of peace. Peace and unity. United through the Holy Spirit. Staying united by lowliness, gentleness, love, and long-suffering. You could sum it up in this. Treat others the way that you would want to be treated. In the bond of peace, endeavoring to keep... That word endeavoring just jumps out at me every time I read this passage. Let's look at it this way. What are you doing and working towards to keep the unity? Let me tell you what doesn't keep the unity. When something happens and you contact people that aren't even involved in the church, a.k.a. gossip, that's not working to keep the unity. When somebody wrongs you and you walk around mad at them for six months, that's not endeavoring to keep the unity. Let me tell you what is endeavoring to keep the unity. When something is none of your business and you just simply keep your mouth shut, 
then you're endeavoring to keep the unity. When your brother offends you and you go to that person instead of the posse, you're endeavoring to keep the unity. When you love and forgive, you're endeavoring to keep the unity. When you, let, when you realize that some stuff is not even worth arguing about and you just let it go, you're endeavoring to keep the unity. It's not as uh, vague as a concept as some great theological treatise. This is very practical. Love, forgive, be humble, be patient, be kind, and keep the unity. As we, as we say, it's not rocket science in the bond of peace. Now, he gives us the basis for this unity. Look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. That's true. There's one church, people that are saved. There's one Holy Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your call. There is only one hope, Jesus Christ. One Lord. There's only one Lord. Jehovah, the God of Israel, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Three persons, but one God, one Lord. Okay. One faith. Now, he's not talking about individual faith, like I put my faith in Christ. He's talking about one faith, the faith of Christianity. He's talking about a body of doctrine. You see, everybody's like, unity, doctrine don't matter. Well, according to Paul, there was no unity without doctrine. And Paul said if they don't adhere to the faith delivered to the saints, that is the gospel that the apostles preached, then there's no unity. I can't have unity with a church that doesn't preach the gospel because that's not a true church. I can have unity with a church that preaches the gospel but disagrees about side issues. Do it all the time. One of my favorite uh, best good friends, as they say, uh, is a pastor who we disagree about the end times, the eschatology, the study of the end, Okay, I'm a premillennial dispensationalist. He is an amillennialist, but he believes the gospel, and so do I. So we have unity. Okay, we can have unity in the gospel and the core issues, and we can show each other grace in the side issues. Okay, I like translations that are based off the majority text. He likes translations that are based off the Alexandrian text. Quite frankly, that's not worth fighting about. That's not a salvation issue. But the faith is the body of doctrine that makes up the gospel, one faith. For example, this is talking about the actual religion as a whole. For example, you might say the Christian faith, the Buddhist faith, the Muslim faith. Paul says there's only one faith, and that's the faith. The, the gospel, according to the things that Jesus and the apostles actually said and were written, were called to contend for that faith in the book of Jude. So there's one faith, one baptism. That's right. Believer's baptism. That's the sign of being a believer. One God. That's right. One God. And Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. See, a lot of people take that last sign and they say, there you go. God, God, God is inside of everybody. We're all going to make it. That's not what Paul said. In you all, he's talking to a group of believers. In all of that group of believers, in all believers, 
there is the presence of God. Don't take it out of context. And so I just looked at the clock and realized that we have ran out of time. So we will pick up next time uh, through our walk through Ephesians. And I pray that this will bless you. And if nothing else, when you broke down this passage word by word, you'd look and say, what can I do to keep the unity at my church? And I hope that that's a real blessing to you.